You are listening to the PJ Performance Podcast with your hosts Paul and Jack. Our next guest on the podcast is Ricky Dan. Both Jack and I are very excited about this due to the fact that this topic is somewhat out of our realm. We have both known Ricky through our university and cricket careers, and we are fascinated to learn more about Ricky's niche, being freestyle sports. The research in this area is minimal, so if you are interested in the research or practical application of high-performance freestyle sports, Ricky is a great contact to have. But without further ado, let's get started. Ricky, it's great to have you on the podcast, mate. How are you going? Oh, thanks for the intro. I'm good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, mate. Very well, mate. So for those who don't know, can you just give us a bit of background on yourself, both in terms of, you know, uni and your sporting background? Yeah, for sure. Um, so as you said, we've known each other for a few years, mainly uh, through uni at UQ and the UQ Cricket Club. Um, so yeah, my, my main passions are, um, work cricket for the years, um, and now more kind of that freestyle surfing and snowboarding, um, alternative sort of sports. Um, but yes, yeah, so I started uni at UQ, had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I enjoyed sport and both my parents were teachers. So naturally kind of went down the, the PE teaching sort of path. Uh, and then made the change in second year. I just loved the, the sporting, um, uh, and exercise sort of side of it. So changed to Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science. Uh, did my honours in my last year and then went straight into a master's. So once finishing that undergrad degree, started a master's in research uh, and continued that for the next kind of two to three years. And that's been pretty much me for the last few years. Apart from that, uh, also ASCA accredited S&C coach and a level one weightlifting coach. So definitely favouring the, the more S&C side of the sports science things. Ricky, Jack here. How you going? Good, Jack. How you doing? Thanks, mate. Obviously, I know you um, through UQ and you've done some tutoring with me and also through your work with CA doing the analyst um, work with them. Um, can you give us a bit of a background on... I guess, what you've done so far in terms of working with Cricket Australia um, and also looking into your Masters a bit, what you've done with your Masters um, and all the work you've done over in, in Finland with the freestyle work. Yeah, mate. Well, working for Cricket Australia was an absolute dream and, and still is. So that kind of started off the back of my major placement at UQ. So in your last year of university, uh, you have to go out, out on placement. So mine was at Cricket Australia. And I just spent, yeah, spent a few months there uh, and was just extremely lucky to get a part-time job with them. So I continued that as a performance analyst for pretty much the whole duration of my master's. And so what that involves is simply traveling, traveling to each national championship, uh, analyzing each match, doing all the stats for the games, developing reports for selectors, the coaches, the athletes, um, and that sort of thing. So that, that was fantastic. Met some really, really cool people. Um, the staff there are amazing. Um, so that's been fantastic to, to have. And then, yeah, as you said, uh, having an academic tutor 
and practical coordinator at UQ for the last few years uh, in a few different subjects. Uh, so my main ones there were sort of exercise physiology subjects, uh, prescription and programming of exercise, uh, a couple of sports coaching subjects, and developing the elite athlete. And that teaching side of things was you know, very unexpected, and I just fell in love with teaching. It was something that I still to this day would really like to continue, um, whether that's kind of down the track in 10, 20 years after I finish coaching. Um, that's always something I really want to pursue in the future. Um, and then, yeah, alongside all of that, I also had a, a casual role as a strength and conditioning coach at the UQ Sport Academy. Um, that was a very kind of casual job, just working with some of the rugby guys there and some of the rowing athletes at UQ. So that's kind of kept me busy over the last kind of two to three years alongside the Masters. Um, yeah. And Ricky, you know, you, well, you've mentioned the work you did at CA and obviously with the research and the master's side of things, there's obviously a lot of science and the sports science side behind that. What's led you more towards the coaching side? You said you love your teaching, but you've had a lot of experience in both sides and you've got your accreditation with your weightlifting and your ASCA accreditation. What's led you more towards the actual practical side of things? Oh, it probably just comes down to the interactions with, with people. I mean, research is is amazing and I love the idea of research. I don't necessarily love the process sometimes, um, but me as a person, I just need to have those interactions with, uh, with staff and athletes to feel like I'm making a big difference. Um, and that's, that's something that I really want to pursue with my own research is, is having questions and topics that are really going to have an impact on whatever, whatever sport or whatever industry I end up going down. So, so that's really important to me. Um, and I suppose the teaching side of the last few years has really satisfied that for me. Like um, research can be very, you know, just sitting at a computer by yourself for a while. And then the teaching side of it can really bring out the, the communication skills and uh, that sort of thing. So I think it's just really important for me to have those daily interactions, really. Yeah, absolutely, Ricky. And I think getting back to your point, it's it's always good to be able to take that research that you, that you learn and then be able to apply it to population because in the end we want to be able to take that research and uh and help the athletes out wherever we can um you you touched on doing your masters at the moment can you just give us a bit more of an overview of what you're doing your masters on and and where you've been recently as well yeah 100 percent, mate so uh, i've officially just yeah just finished the mphil the masters which has been a massive relief and my research question was basically looking at all the relationships between muscle fiber composition muscle carnosine and fatigue. So basically we took uh, biopsies from heaps of people, so muscle biopsies where you actually extract a bit of muscle tissue. Um, we examined a few different muscle characteristics and then we put all those, th all those people through an extremely fatiguing task to see how they fatigue. So in my case, it was three back-to-back -back wing gates. Um, and so if anyone who's done just one wing gate, you'd appreciate the degree of fatigue that three back-to-back -back involves. Um, and so what we expected was, you know, and theoretically it would make sense that the people with more fast-twitch fibres would produce more initial power and fatigue more or show greater signs of, of fatigue. And then the slow-dominant uh, people would show less force but be able to maintain that power output. Um, but what we've actually found is that muscle fibre composition and carnosine in particular they don't really contribute a huge deal to fatigue 
um, overall in that sort of anaerobic setting. And, yeah, we found very little relationships between them, which was really interesting. So uh, I've finished that research up at the end of last year and am currently now in the process of getting that published, which is a whole whole different story. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with that research. <laughs> Just trying to get it past ethics, are you there, Ricky? Oh, mate, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, in terms of a practical setting, uh, for any SNC coach out there, how can we apply your research to an SNC setting? Do you think? Yeah, great question. And look, the reason um, I've kind of stopped this research uh, after the M field is because it's it's really really interesting, but it's very kind of physiological and and really um, it, it's hard to put into practice. So what we can get from it is coaches that know that athletes have extremely um, predominant fast twitch or extremely uh, slow twitch athletes, we can change their, tra- their training programs very subtly. So, for example, someone with more fast twitch fibers, they may need more time to recover after a big set, or we may actually just reduce their um, their sprint load um, to make sure their performance is, is really good in that short period, whereas the, uh, the slow twitch dominant people may need the opposite. So they may need less rest, uh, and they may be able to go longer. But the differences that we found in the research were really, really small, and they were found right towards the end of that three Wingate protocol. So when you're looking at what you actually do in training, you probably don't replicate the degree of fatigue that you see in that three Wingate protocol. So, um, yeah, you can make subtle changes like that, but it's mainly just to increase the the research around fatigue because we still don't know a lot about that. So, No, it's really interesting, mate. And I know you've obviously got desires for future research, so something we're going to touch on later in the podcast as well. Paul, Paul. What now, Jack? You're forgetting something, mate. What do you want about? The podcast sponsors. Oh, silly me. You are listening to the PJ Performance Podcast, sponsored by Acceleration, enhancing sports performance, and Acceleware, a professional management system for coaches and managers. That's better, Paul. So I think let's get to the crux of it now. So this is going to be a a bit of an education for Jack and myself, which I'm very excited for. Can you just give us a little explanation of what action and freestyle sports are? And what gave you the interest to look at these at a more academic level? Yeah, well, so I guess most people know what action sports in general or that they, they have a picture of what action sports are. And so that's sports like surfing, snowboarding, skateboarding, uh, BMX, skiing, rock climbing, motocross, all those sorts of sports with a really high degree of consequence. I think that's what is the key factor in there with the action sports. Freestyle sports, that's where my passion really is. So sports like surfing and snowboarding, for example, where athletes actually get judged on not only the degree of difficulty with their tricks but also their style and flow. So they have the ability to express their own style and own it. Um, And that's a really big part of of competition in these sports, which is really rare and really cool in my eyes. Um, So surfing, for example, so... Uh, a surfing competition consi- consists of a set time in the water, whether that's 30 or 45 minutes. 
uh, where athletes can catch as many waves as, as they can and then the top two count towards their final score. Whereas freestyle snowboarding uh, usually only has around three runs and then the best uh, score is, is being taken as their result. And so if I was to differ these from your mainstream sports, it's mainly, to be honest, the lack of rules. You can pretty much do anything you like in the time frame you're given, uh, which gives them so much freedom. And I suppose that kind of links into why it interests me. And it probably just comes down to, so I, I fell in love with surfing once I got my first barrel and my first tube. Being inside a tube is simply the best feeling on earth. And I can imagine something like scoring a ton on boxing at the MCG would also feel pretty nice. But for me and where I'm at, the rush that surfing and snowboarding produces for me is everything. And to sum it up in one word, it would be flow. I'm addicted to flow and so are these athletes. And so I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with flow, but it's a psychological state of, of peak performance. So those moments where everything feels effortless, you lose track of time, everything falls into place and you're just performing at your best. So pretty much every time you go into that, Jack, you're um, experiencing flow, mate. Don't know about that, mate. Don't know about that. Maybe pull. Oh, the, the consistent tons in the scorebook, mate, may, may say otherwise, but that's all right. Um, and, yeah, for anyone interested in, um, in high performance, I'd recommend reading the book The Rise of Superman by Stephen uh, Kotler. So he has a great overview of flow and gives examples from high-performing CEOs and action sport athletes around flow and how to utilise that. Really, really cool book. Um, yeah, as I said, the difference between conventional sports like cricket, tennis and football uh, is the lack of rules and freedom. And when you combine this freedom with the extremely dangerous nature of them, it forces athletes into flow to perform. So when a surfer paddles for a big wave, they're not thinking about anything else in the world other than that wave. Because if their mind wanders at the elite level and especially on the waves that they catch, that could result in either serious injury or even death. And, you know, when you're speeding towards the kicker on a snowboard about to complete whatever, a switch backside, triple cork, all of your attention and focus is on the task at hand. And I just think that is amazing. And, and all sports do elicit this flow response, but it's action sports that, act, that demand it. They, they really demand it because if you don't perform – there's usually really bad consequences. But if everything goes to plan, the feeling is extraordinary. It's addictive. You know, these athletes travel the world to simply experience these hits of flow, and that's their sport. They get paid to feel that, that rush, and they love it. And I simply love working with people who love what they do. So that's, that's why I love the area. Ricky, you mentioned the switch backside triple cork. Jack and I were in absolute stitches. <laughs> that is. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> For all the listeners out there, we'll put a video of Ricky doing a switch back double cork in the green room. Oh, damn. I'd love to see that. Um, now, Ricky, you, you touched on recently that you spent some time overseas in Finland. Um, before we... Or on the podcast, you said that there's only one other person over there in the freestyle who's had any SNC and sports science background. Did did this surprise you a bit? A hundred percent. So there was there's one guy um, at the academy where I was that had a sports science background, 
And yeah, that that blew me away. And that's that's what really made the whole experience so incredible. Um, so I was only over there for a couple of months because of the virus. I had to come home early. Um, but my role was mainly as a strength and conditioning coach and also as a sports scientist. Uh, and that was based at a high-performance academy up in northern Finland. Uh, the academy had about probably 40 to 50 athletes, um, all involved in freestyle snowboarding, skiing, uh, and also some alpine skiing athletes. And they ranged from uh, youth development, so like 16 years old, through to uh, the proper national team athletes. And, yeah, the whole opportunity came about because of the sports scientist and the current PhD student uh, named Jonathan McPhail. So he's originally from England uh, but lives and works full-time in Finland. And, yeah, I cannot put into words how incredible Jonathan is, not only as a strength and conditioning coach but as a sports scientist and as a general person. Um, the crazy part of the academy is that, yeah, he's the only person there with a sports science background. And so over the last few years, uh, Jonathan's been able to educate the skills coaches on really basic SNC principles, uh, different coaching philosophies, injury management. Um, so they not only have a greater appreciation for sports science in general, but they can also take gym sessions. So they know how to structure a session. They know what good and bad technique looks like. It's really, really impressive to see what Jonathan has managed to do simply through educating other coaches. And I think other um, other sports could learn a lot from that. Um, but, yeah, the whole experience was fantastic. During, during my time, I was lucky enough to travel throughout Finland to different ski resorts. Uh, I was also part of a trip to Sweden with a group of alpine skiers. Um, and we had some different competitions throughout some Swedish ski resorts. So, yeah, even sports science aside, it was just an incredible experience overall. That's awesome, mate. For, for me, you know, you're going into that high-performance environment. These guys have been skiing and snowboarding all their life. How do they respond to someone from this sector, from the sports science, from the S&C sector, coming there and, you know, telling them different things? Are they pretty receptive of that? A hundred percent. And that's one thing that I love about these athletes is they value and appreciate our role so, so much. And I think that comes down to the fact that they've never had it before. You know, you you, you see some of these, um, let's say NRL, for example, if you could get contracted at uh, 15, 16 years old and you may have really good um, strength conditioning coaches, you may have had a psychologist, a nutritionist, from like 12 years old and so you've had all that experience traveling through so when you get to that elite level you you know what you're doing and so they may take some things for granted whereas these guys they just snowboard and they just ski or they just surf and then all of a sudden they have all these really really cool people coming in to help them and i, I just think they appreciate that so much more why do you think it's so important even in freestyle sports that we have that multifactorial approach in even that high performance, but even the development guys coming through the junior, you know, the junior tournaments and the juniors coming through to get to the national team? Why is it so important that they have access to all these, you know, different aspects of sports science and strength and conditioning? Oh, just to progress the sport. And, and that's what excites me the most is, is freestyle sports like this, are arguably are progressing so much quicker than other sports, performance-wise, that is, and they've had very little training to start with. So the thought of having an athlete 
from 12 years old, getting the fundamentals of, of SNC ingrained into them and then watching them grow and develop right through to the Olympic level, I can't even imagine the sort of performances that we're going to see and the, the, the type of tricks that they'll be doing in five to 10 years to 20 years' time. That's, um, that's why I think it's so important. And that's, yeah, what excites me most about this whole area. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. And you, you touched about on about progressing the sport. Did you find that when you went over there and you had involvement with these athletes in the high-performance environment, or even the developmental environment, did it actually help them and progress them at all um, in terms of their their skills in the ski field or wherever it may be? Yeah, well, my time there was was actually pretty short, only a few months. So I personally couldn't see like the, the acute changes, obviously, because developments like that, um, physical developments take a lot of time. But um, the biggest thing that I found there was just the culture and and the importance of building a culture based around making quality people and whether that's professional, high performance or business, um, they hire their staff and recruit their athletes based off the type of person they are rather than performance models or success in competitions and rather focusing on shaping successful athletes, they focus on shaping successful people and that culture hit me in the face from day one. It was just so clear by the athletes' attitudes, their behaviours, their manners, um, that that's exactly how they roll and they were just owning it. And, and that's, that's just so cool in my eyes. Like they, when we're on the slopes, um, so their skill sessions are just literally in the park, on the slopes, doing jumps. And they genuinely support each other and enjoy seeing each other succeed. Now, if someone nails a new trip, trick everyone at training would go nuts and they would spend hours filming each other you know sacrificing their own training time just so their friends could you know put together sick edits up on instagram and youtube and they just genuinely feed off each other's success and that is such a beautiful thing so so i think in that respect as well so not necessarily a performance respect just the culture itself um that can have such a positive influence on on not only performance, but just them as people. So, Yeah, absolutely, Ricky. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. We, For our listeners out there, we recently had a podcast with Peter Clark, who's the um, Cricket Australia psychologist, and he touched on mainly having that people focus before the athletes and also just um, creating that facilitative environment that allows the athletes to flourish um, is just so critical to their obviously their performance, um, but also just creating a really good positive environment where people thrive in. Love it. Yeah, all for it. Yeah, that's a great point. So, Ricky, if you had to sort of summarise your time over there, you know, with the findings that you had, obviously you've had a great time and it's been awesome listening to that. What were your main findings and what do you want to do with this going forward? Yeah, look, the... I mean, firstly, I learned more about SNC from from Jonathan than I did in my four year undergrad degree. So the the SNC sort of things was phenomenal. What I learned there, um, even just seeing in person how big the jumps are, you know, that makes it blatantly obvious how important things like eccentric strength, power, rate of force development, um, how important they are for their programs. And so what I learned through the SNC was was huge, but the biggest thing that I learned would have had had to have been the culture side of things. You know, you can you can work on creating power for big airs, working on absorbing force, 
Um, but I think the biggest impact, especially over a long time, is going to be fostering that really good um, culture and that really good environment. So combining those two things, um, they're probably the biggest things I learned over there. Also, the flexibility with programming. And I think, you know, I'm not too involved with other action sports like BMX and stuff, but um, the flexibility part of it is huge with especially surfers and snowboarders. So you have to remember why are you coming to the gym? You know, you're not coming to the gym to get stronger. You're coming to the gym to become a better snowboarder or a better surfer. And so if the, if the surf is pumping six foot or if there's perfect bluebird um, powder days at the snow, you want them to be in that element to practice their tricks under those perfect conditions. And so I think that was something that Jonathan did really, really well was he was able to make these awesome 12-month programs but then just have so much flexibility with the timings, the, the volume, um, and just the, the sessions themselves to make sure they were becoming better at their sport and not just training for the sake of it. And I think him getting that message across to the athletes also then just gives the athletes um, so much respect for the coach because they can see why they're here. And so that flexibility part was something I really, really struggled with. <laughs> I'm all about finding, um, finding a path and making things clear. We're doing this on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, so I learned a lot about flexibility in programming, which is really cool. And, you know, going back to that Sweden trip I mentioned, that was really where I learned the value of getting to know your athletes. And as, um, once again, another really good book, uh, Simon Sinek's The Understanding Why, there were multiple occasions on that Finland trip. Uh, for example, uh, one town we were staying at, there was this, this huge frozen lake just down the road from where we were staying. So one afternoon I went for a walk and one of the really shy and reserved, reserved athletes um, wanted to come too. And on that walk, he just opened up and we had a really, really good chat uh, and I really got to know him better as a person and that just reflected on our whole relationship from there. And, you know, one of the girls had a really huge fall. So I ended up sitting with her in a Swedish hospital for nearly five hours just, I don't know, talking about life, her family, how she started skiing, why she loves it so much. And these sorts of interactions, they weren't deliberate I'm going to build rapport today, but instead just really simple acts of kind of genuine interest, which led to some amazing uh, coach-athlete relationships. So that was a really short uh, trip to Sweden, but spending so much time with those athletes on and off the road just made such a big difference. So um, understanding their why, the athletes' why, why are they surfing, why are they snowboarding, um, that's a huge part of it for sure. Ricky, some absolutely incredible information there for any SNC coach or, or coaches in general out there. I think building that rapport with athletes is so important. On the next episode, we have a very special guest. I met Greeny when I was in Sydney in 2011, and since then, he's been a great mate. Greeny is currently prepping for the upcoming Caribbean Premier League 2020 for the Guyana Amazon Warriors. We caught up with him a few weeks ago, and this is a little insight into what he said. I think that that stresses the point of what the good players obviously have that knowledge base of how to do that. And, and for the guys who 
aren't, don't have that knowledge base or aren't as experienced or, you know, haven't gone through different conditions like the top players do. That's, that's where it's not, ha- not being afraid of actually asking, you know, is it if you're at the Brisbane Heat, for example, and A.B. De Villiers is there, is just badger him because it's, it's, it's better for the team, it's better for you, and it's, it's, therefore it's better for everyone overall. And, and you know, A.B., we're at, at Sydney Thunder's home ground today. The wicket's typically been up and down and, and really slow. How do you approach those sort of wickets? And, and even if it doesn't apply to that game or that circumstance, you know, you, you may find yourself in a situation later in life where, oh, I, the light bulb turns on. It's, oh, I remember that conversation with AB and he said he does this and then you can apply it that way. Um, and that's what I did in the Caribbean. I, you know, I, I was able to, to tap into some knowledge that Mike Hussey gave me. Okay, let's get back to this podcast. I guess from your experiences over in Finland um, and with surfing and obviously this freestyle sport, what what research are you potentially planning in the future? Yeah, so um, ideally um, I would love to complete my PhD in either elite surfing or snowboarding. Uh, so there is a lot that we don't know about surfing and snowboarding from a, from a sports science standpoint. Uh, what we do know is that Freestyle snowboarding is hugely skill-based, meaning if you can successfully perform a better trick than your competition, you will win. End of story. So naturally the importance of understanding how athletes progress through different stages of learning uh, and then eventually how to master a new, tri- a new trick is, is pretty clear. So, so my question is what's the best way to learn a new trick? And this skill acquisition approach is really what I want to um, dive into with my research. So it's a bit of a funny story. My, my interest in this area came from me wanting to learn a backflip. So one of my goals outside of sports science and SNC while I was in Finland was to successfully do a backflip on one of the medium-sized kicker. Um, and I'm not very good to start with. So, so that was a big, big challenge. And in my eyes, so I had access to everything that these incredible athletes did. I had access to their gym, uh, some of Finland's best snowboarding coaches, uh, massive trampolines and gymnastics equipment, a huge landing bag, uh, and an extremely good park at Ruka with all different size jumps. So my first thought was, like, where do you start? Uh, my, my research background kind of came out and and was like, okay, so what's the current practice? Uh, what does the literature say? And long story short, doesn't say a lot. Uh, I knew there were important factors. I knew, you know, you had to get a baseline strength, um, mobility, you had to be robust, you had to have mental skills. Um, but I just kept asking these questions like, how do you know when you're strong enough and robust enough to, to stop the landing? Like, should I learn a front flip first? Do I need to master a backflip on a trampoline? Um, when should I transition from the gym to the slopes? Do I need to try it on a landing bag first? Um, are there any imagery strategies I should use? Should I spend time visualizing the trick and, and to see what it feels like? So I had all these questions, but ultimately I want to identify how much time should an athlete be spending on, on strength training versus skill training versus mental training and where should we invest that time? You know, there's, there's so many questions that lead on from that. 
Uh, is there in an ideal order of progression? Like, should you go from the gymnastic mats to the trampoline to the airbag to the jump? Um, a really cool, a really cool question would be: Do these variables change from elite to novice athletes? So, are there different frameworks? Um, but yeah, anyway, as you can tell, I just asked about fifty questions. There are so many unanswered questions in that area that I'm really keen to dive into. So that's the sort of thing that I'd really be interested in pursuing for sure yeah. for a PhD. Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting field. And I think that kind of links it with any sport, even cricket. Um, Ricky, you mentioned how important that skill level is for the freestyle-based sports. Um, clearly, there isn't a lot of research out there at the moment, um, especially seeing that there's only one person who works in the, in the field with an SNC or sports science background. Do you think that focusing on the skill development side rather than potentially the SNC side would be a good way to start with the research um, base? Yeah, 100%. So the, they currently are doing some really, really good training. So the coaches are, are the world's best over there and everything they're currently doing in my eyes is great, but there's just no evidence base to it. So all their practice is just because that's what they've done. And I'm not the sort of SNC coach that would base everything around evidence base. I don't believe that's the best way to go. Um, but I just see real potential to, to get into the nuts and bolts of that skill acquisition and have some evidence around, okay, so maybe the elite guys should be spending more time on the, on the slopes and then less time in the gym. Uh, and then what would you do in that gym session if you're spending less time there to make sure they are strong enough, powerful enough, robust enough? And so, uh, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of really good uh, sports scientists and strength conditioning coaches in the snow sports industry. You know, New Zealand and Canada are for sure leading the way. There's an amazing setup in Whistler over in Canada um, with the Canadian Sports Institute. They're doing some amazing things, but there's just not a lot of research coming out of there. So that to me, you know, and you guys would understand completely how hard it is to get a job in general in sports science. And so in my eyes, if I can enter that sort of world um, in the, with, with research and accomplishing a PhD and then potentially getting a job out of that, that's really attractive to me. So, so Ricky, do you think this will open up, you know, opportunities such as high-performance managers and things like that within sports, almost creating jobs for the industry? A hundred percent, mate. There's just so much more potential for that. And, you know, the Finland example was, was just one example. That's, that's one academy in one country. And there was... One guy, Jonathan, who was also, he wasn't just the SNC coach. He was also doing his PhD, collecting data. He was doing all the injury, um, prehab, rehab. He was giving nutritional advice, giving some psychological advice. And so even, you know, not just in the SNC sort of um, area, but just in sports science in general, there's just so much potential. Yeah, some some really good information there, Ricky. And I think definitely opening up that field would obviously open up more jobs for people like us, but but also yeah. in general, I think, to be able to perform better um, more consistently. I guess you've touched on a fair few things so far um, with your research and what you've done in the future, uh, what you've done previously. Have you got any goals for the future in terms of your research or potentially working in a certain field? Yeah, mate. So, I mean, first and foremost. I want to learn finishing, I want to finish learning that backflip. That's, 
that's my biggest goal right now is to get back and do that backflip. Um, but uh, apart from that, uh, there is, as I've been saying for the last 20 minutes, there is an extremely limited amount of research in sports science for freestyle sports in general. And it's always been a dream of mine to complete a PhD in surfing. Uh, but after living and experiencing the true snowboarding culture, that's also now a strong interest of mine. So in an, in an absolutely ideal world, I'd start my PhD first thing next year, exploring skill acquisition in freestyle snowboarding. And at the moment, um, that's exactly what I'm working on. So I'm trying to bring together all of the little pieces, uh, finding research questions, finding supervisors, collaborations, funding, um, there's so much that goes into that. So that's what I'm currently trying to work on. Um, my master's supervisor, Vince Kelly, has literally taught me everything I know about research and has been a huge part of my journey so far. So I'd really like to hope, um, I'd really like to have him as a supervisor again. And my biggest role model in the industry is, is Jeremy Shepard, who has done a lot of research in surfing uh, and is now based back in Canada at the Canadian Sports Institute. So I'm extremely interested in exploring options to collaborate uh, with his team over there in Whistler. They're doing some fantastic work over there. Um, and I would also like to get back to Finland at some stage, do some more testing or data collection over there. So a few options for the near future. Um, that's sort of my thinking there. Long term, I'm really interested in high performance uh, managing sort of positions. So that holistic approach to athletic development. Uh, I enjoy everything about high performance, you know, not just the S&C, but I love the nutrition, the psychology, the health and well-being side to performance. So one day I'd love to be able to lead a team of staff which covers all of that. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, just living one day at a time through this corona epidemic and just trying to focus on the things that, that we can impact, really. Uh, absolutely. I think... Um, you've definitely got your hands full with some some great ideas there and some really good aspirations for the future. Thanks again for joining us um, on our podcast today. But before we finish off, I'm going to hand you over to Paul for one of our favourite segments of the podcast, and that's the Battle of the Brains. All righty. Well, strap yourselves in because it's time for Battle of the Brains. Oh, man, I'm nervous. Ricky Dan, welcome to the Battle of the Brains, mate. Before we go on with this, um, it's, been, it's been absolutely awesome listening to you, mate, and you've even convinced me that I want to learn how to do a backflip as well. So, Oh, come and join me. That might Sounds good. Yeah, though, Ricky, I think. What's that, mate? It might take Paul a bit longer than yourself, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd be surprised. I reckon Paulie's got it. All right. First question of Battle of the Brains, Ricky. So, as we both know, your brother is a professional golfer. What yes. is his official golf ranking to the closest 100? Oh, yeah. Is this in the world? Dude, in the world. Is it 60? Oh. Is it 1,700 or is it 1,800? Oh, man. I'm going to go 1,700. 1700, Ricky. That is correct. Your brother. Hey, he's going to be proud of that. Well done, mate. All right. Actually, he probably wouldn't even know that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. Question number two. This is a bit of a general knowledge 
section at the moment because we couldn't really figure out one thing that you would like to do. So we've just yeah. a few different things here. Fantastic. Right. Who are the number one in the men's and women's champion surfing tour? I'll give you three options. Is it Italo Ferreira and Carissa Moore? Is it Gabrielle Medina and Caroline Marks? Caroline, I think that is Paul. Yeah, sorry, man. Or <laughs> Jimmy and Lakey Peterson. Oh, um, I know it's. Oh, I know Italo is. Uh, could you repeat the first one again? Italo Ferreira and Chris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got to be that. Chris and Moore. Hey, mate, correct. I think I had a few. Oh pronunciation through there but i think we got <laughs> no you did well oh glad about that one all right question number three ricky this is something that is quite close to home for you with your time that was spent over in finland oh god the country of estonia sits across the gulf from finland what is the capital of estonia is it a Tallinn, b kiev or c Bern? Alan's the only one I've heard of. Um, what were the other two again? Sorry. We have B Kiev or C Burn. Oh mate, I've only heard of Talon. You going with Talon? Yeah. Ricky, three from three. Mate, Unbelievable. A- <laughs> well done. <laughs> no way. I just heard because it was when I was in the Helsinki airport. They had flights going there, and that seemed close. So beautiful. There we go, mate. Pretty impressive. Um, well, Ricky, Dan, thank you very much for joining us again. We certainly had a lot of fun and learnt a lot during this podcast. Very much looking forward to what's to come in the future as well, mate, and hopefully get you back on the podcast to see where the research is going and if you've had any more trips, obviously, after the, all the COVID stuff has gone. So, um, mate, thank you so much again. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I know there's going to be some listeners out here who are going to absolutely love this. Oh, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I'm really excited you guys are both doing this podcast. Can't wait to see the great things that you're going to produce in the future. Cheers, Rick. Thanks, mate. Thanks, lads. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the PJ Performance Podcast. We hope you thoroughly enjoyed it and look forward to catching up with you again when we chat with Chris Green on the next episode of the podcast.